tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap. The Sunday morning gospel goes good with the soul. Little did I know the joy I was to find in knowing I'm only me. Drink a little drip, 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 drink a little. And if you feel the feel I feel, you dig the feel of me. I'm thinking about this whole world. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Well, good afternoon, everybody. It is not tonight. It is afternoon. And we are broadcasting from, what do we call this place, Doug? This is, uh, once again, the Vinegar Rune. Yeah. The vinegar had to switch locations. Uh, we are now at a Frog Song Farm, located in Wildwood, Texas, uh, just south of another town called Austin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're in uh, San Antonio North, pretty much, if I'm in Waco South. Well, anywho, um, I think that this would be Gonzalez North. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, as you can tell, I, it is I, Tony Slagle, your host today, and I am joined as always by our much better host, Doug Cooper. I feel like that's putting pressure on me every time you say that. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, our very humble producer, uh, Jonathan Jambro. Hello, Tapsters. And tonight, oh God, this afternoon, <laughs> such a habit, it's hard to break. Yeah. So this afternoon, we're talking about the Beach Boys 1970 album, Sunflower, and their first post-capital released for reprise, um, Doug. This LP and the 70s in particular aren't really a decade that most people, I think, most at least maybe even our listeners wouldn't associate with the band we're talking about tonight. So I'm going to ask you outright, why this 1970 Beach Boys album? Well, this is going to shock a lot of uh, our listeners, and maybe you too also, but um, I can be an idiot. And <laughs> all, regarding the Beach Boys, I have a long history of being an idiot. Uh, and it's not all my fault. My first exposure to the Beach Boys was on the Greatest Hits album. Uh, what endless summer mm -hmm. and fine album that's it's, and that's a that was released in the 70s yeah, right early yeah. 70s, 70s mid 70s yeah. okay it's a double album and it is a gigantic book of hits the problem with that is the beach boys changed so much 
that you can get the wrong idea. So the first time I heard uh, Serpent Safari is the same time, the same time as the first time I heard uh, Good Vibrations. And those, those songs are very different and they come from very different uh, stages in the Beach Boys. So over the years, I developed a superficial understanding of the Beach Boys that it was fun, fun surf music, then fun, fun car music. And then something happened and they put out Pet Sounds, which is an extraordinary album with very complicated and beautiful music. And then they went away forever until a movie came out called Cocktail and they did Kokomo. (laughs) So that was my understanding of the Beach Boys. This is not that different than our the reason I picked the uh, Bear Trees by the Fleetwood Mac is there's a bunch of really good Beach Boys music that people don't know about because it doesn't fall in the uh, one of the two periods. Just like uh, with Fleetwood Mac, there's a lot of people that don't know about the really good albums Fleetwood Mac did before Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks joined. So they have a number, uh, maybe four to five really good albums that came out that did not do well, did not have any hits on them. This album is one of the highly, most highly regarded albums outside of Pet Sounds, and it is the album that performed worse on the charts than any album that came before it. This was a complete disaster at the charts, and it is a fantastic album, and, and we do a good service if we can spread the word. Yeah, I think that's what you're talking about, Doug. I think the reason why that it, you know, Pet Sounds kind of put the Beach Boys off on a different trajectory. It was Brian Wilson was trying to do new stuff. And even the individual Beach Boys were kind of finding their their own singing voice, their own their own voice. Like, you know, during this time, Dennis Wilson was kind of stretching out as a songwriter. All of them were stretching out as a songwriter, but especially Dennis, I think. Um, But. You're right. There's some, whenever I talk about the Beach Boys and how much I like them, it's I get kind of two reactions. And it's usually from guys that, I mean, there's people, when I talk about people that I know respect music, when I mention that I like the Beach Boys so much, it's odd. A lot of the guys go, yeah, they're great. And a lot of the women that I talk to and that appreciate music just look at me like, how? How on earth can you, these guys, I mean, this fun in the sun, you know, my ties in the, in the sun or on the beach and the, the beach shirts and all that sort of stuff. I mean, they, that's what they associate with the, with, with the beach boys. And when you say, well, listen to pet sounds, even that doesn't seem to change their mind very much. So I don't really understand quite where the disconnect is because this, you're right. After the, after pet sounds, the beach boys were kind of restless and they're, I guess, but they're, uh, the record buying public took a, to turn to deaf ear. Well, there's, there's lots of reasons for that, that we'll get in. We're not going to go into the in depth that we normally do on history. Cause this is what, what number album is this for this band? It's like 16, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so we're not going to do an uh, album, album by album sort of dissection like we have in the past or we do. Cause I think people would <laughs> tune, tune us right <laughs> out, but we'll talk about some highlights and we'll talk about, I think there's, there's some valid reasons why, um, whether they're, rational reasons, valid reasons why the buying public sort of, uh, went a different way. I, I want to talk about what you just mentioned, Jan, because I, oddly enough, am one of those people that has a very complicated relationship with this band. Uh, 
and um, and I shouldn't because there's so many bands I listen to that have been influenced by by the Beach Boys for various in various ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, I recommended an album on our last podcast that was very much it was called Pet Soul. So you can't get much more influenced than that. Um, but uh, and I'm going to sound like a broken record by something I've said multiple times in the past. I, I owe Doug uh, a bit of gratitude for us doing this album because it i it kind of made me realize that i wasn't being very fair to this band in a lot of ways i had a very super one of, i was one of those guys that has superficial oh yeah this is nice oh the harmonies are good yeah they have a pop sensibility They're, these are great songs i mean um but i it often was difficult for me to understand why pets pets sounds got such the accolades it did and i've listened to that album a ton of times um uh but I'm, I've got different ears now. I think because of Sunflower, it's it's kind of an interesting, interesting thing that this album made me. I think because it's it's Beach Boysy, but it's not in right. the same way well, that I it think, made me kind of listen to them in a different way. I think what's going back to what I was saying earlier. I think that you know Brian Wilson. If you go back and listen to even the early Beach Boy stuff, there is always the harmonies are amazing. The arrangements are are pretty incredible. But, you know, the subject matter is just sort of, eh, you know, surfer girl. uh, Well, there's a reason for that. (laughs) What? Brian Wilson didn't have any interest. He was into music. Yeah. So when they came to what we we're going to write about, yeah, they went. To, he went to Dennis. Dennis Wilson said, "Why don't you write about surfing?" Because he was the so, only yeah, surfer. Yeah, and we're, <laughs> we're, I guess we're kind of. We sh- we should just mention briefly that that's so they they Hawthorne, California. Is that where they got that, together? Is that where they're from? Yeah, yeah and essentially it was a. a um, I mean, if you if you want to throw a dart in a day in a kind of a date era time, it's it was right around Brian Wilson's sixteenth birthday, right? They, yeah. He gets a reel-to-reel tape recorder, and he's and he shares a brother or shares a bedroom with his brothers, uh, Dennis, who's thirteen at the time, and Carl, who's eleven, and so he starts to sort of produce them with this reel-to-reel tape. Um, yeah. And he has an extraordinarily uh, his his dad parents are yeah, both was, uh, musicians, very particularly supportive. his father. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he was a piano player and, uh, and they had, they were, they had a lot of these vocal group albums in, in the, in the house. So they, these guys kind of grew up knowing what to do with that. And he taught his brothers what to do essentially. And, um, and he learned how to do overdubs with this recorder. And I mean, that's a kind of a thread running through his career. He's, he feels, it feels to me like he's much more interested in the way things are going to sound and how to mm-hmm. produce those sounds. Like you said, Doug, he's not, doesn't have interest. So he didn't care if he wrote songs about whatever, but yeah, his brother, um, uh, his brother's the one who said, let's, cause he was an avid surfer, yeah. right? Dennis. The only one of the beach boys who was an avid surfer. Yeah. Right. But, uh, they get their 11 year old neighbor who's David Marks, uh, to join them. And then at a family, it was like a family gathering or something. They get Mike Love, who's yeah, their, their cousin. First cousin, yeah. Yeah, first cousin to start doing it. And then Al Jardine, who was a high school uh, friend of Brian Wilson's, yeah. uh, they team up uh, and form this band called the Pendletones, <laughs> which was a, a play on, I guess there's a sweater that was popular or something, or a shirt popular at the time called the, called the Pendleton. And so that was uh, that was where they got that from. They just did a little 
little clever thing with the end of it and made it tone. Uh, and, uh, and as, as we said, like we did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're right. <laughs> um, anyway, their dad, their dad's name, their dad, their dad's name is, um, Murray Wilson. Mm-hmm. If I, if I'm correct about That's that. Correct. And he was, uh, he was friends with uh, some people in the music biz, right? Yeah. He wants to, uh, get these guys in front of somebody who might be interested in, um, in moving them in a direction. And by the time, uh, Murray is reaching out to people, they've written, um, surfing. Uh, Brian Wilson wrote surfing. And then he, with Mike love, they wrote surfing safari. Yeah. So he hooks up with this publisher named height Morgan and Height's wife, Dorinda, uh, they're listening to it. And she's like, Oh, you've got to go record a demo of surfing. So this this they do this and um and the demo makes its way to this guy named Herb Newman who's the owner of owner of Candix Records and he signs up the Pendletones in 1961 and they put out Surfin now they have to put it out uh, under a different name because um they wanted to call them the Surfers because of the song and the Surfers was already used by somebody else so um <laughs> There's a, uh, a, a, a promoter named Russ Regan, uh, who came up with the name, the beach boys, and that was slapped onto the single. So they didn't, this was a name bestowed upon them. It wasn't something they, they wanted to go with. Um, and the funny thing about that song surfing when they release it is it becomes a regional success and actually charts nationally. It hits number 75 on the billboard 100. Surfing is the only life, the only way for me now. Surf, surf. I got up this morning, turned on my radio. I was checking out the surfing scene to see if I would go. And when the DJ tells me that the surfing is fine, that's when I know my baby and I will have a good time. And it's so successful that the label couldn't keep up with making copies of it, and it ends up going bankrupt because of it. <laughs> the label goes bankrupt because they can't keep up with it. Bankrupt by success. Yeah. Yep. I think that's a first. And Murray's kind of a thread throughout this early beach, mid beach boy stuff. Cause he's their de facto manager at this time. Right. Yeah. And he, I think you would call him a manager and maybe a producer along the same lines as Todd Rundgren. Yeah. He was very instrumental in their, uh, and he, the he, didn't, he did not teach. He, he did not treat them like adults, no. uh, even after they became adults. So at this point, all five of them sing. Brian plays bass. Dennis plays drums. Carl is the lead guitarist. Yeah. Al Jardine is a rhythm guitarist. And Mike Love is he's mainly the main lead singer, kind yeah. of, if you want to call him that. And he occasionally plays the saxophone, I guess. And that's... He's the narrator. The narrator. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Um, the other fun, kind of funny thing about, uh, about them at this time is Hype Morgan also has them add vocals to a bunch of instrumentals that he had recorded. Um, and they, and they create this sort of short lived group called Kenny and the cadets and Brian is, is the lead under the pseudonym Kenny. So they put vocals on all these instrumental stuff to try to, you know, get a little dough, a little extra dough from huh. what their talents are. Formidable and, as they are. Yeah. So in 62, Jardine leaves the Beach Boys and he's replaced by David Marks on rhythm guitar. Mm-hmm. So, and then they, uh, they end up getting some interest with, with, uh, Capital. 
That's where you, all the big hits are on are on the Capitol recordings. Yeah, they get they sign a seven year contract with Capitol. Um, they debut Surf and Safari, and it's it's the B side is four oh nine, and mm-hmm. that out al- that song that single hits number fourteen. Um, and then they released their first album, Surf and Safari, in nineteen sixty two. And it's really kind of different than most rock albums at the time. It and is. it's different than most surf albums at the time. Most hey, surf well, albums were what? Were instrumentals, right? That's right. Uh, with uh, that rapid guitar. What, what's his face? Uh, Mezzaloo uh, guy. Uh, Dale, Dick Dale. One of the things that it's important is the influences here. And I think Brown Wilson would say his biggest influence were the four freshmen, yeah. mm-hmm. which yeah. a vocal band, which mm-hmm. doesn't surprise anyone when they hear the Beach Boys. We'll remember graduation day. They were big. And they were big on campus. They would go to different. <laughs> Hence the name. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, especially would... for the f- first year students. <laughs> yes. Usually they're ignored, ignored by the women and beat up by the upperclassmen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and the other odd thing about them is not only are they different from surf music at the time and different from kind of rock and roll, but almost all of the songs on that surf and safari album are written by the guys in the band, which is unheard of yeah. in 1962. Right. That's when you still had an A&R guy that would go out and find yeah. uh, music and, and bring it to the artist. I mean, you didn't really get artists kind of doing their own thing until uh, the, the Beatles became as big as they were. That's well, when, there was a little boy from Texas. That, well, I'm talking about, yeah, I'm yeah. talking about bands though and rock, like pop bands. Like the right? crickets. Well, the, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, it was still unusual, Doug. Yeah. At the in 1962, it was very unusual. That's why Buddy Holly is so fantastic. Yes. Yeah, and, and if got, you don't yeah. like Buddy Holly, you're a horrible. Well, person. and guys like Chuck Berry was writing. They were writing their own. Oh, stuff. there's plenty of black guys yeah. doing it, <laughs> yeah. and they were writing songs for the white guys too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, for example, the if you listen to uh, the Beach Boys, their first songs were were basically Chuck, Chuck Berry. Berry with uh, harmonies. Yeah, with yeah. vocal harmonies on it. Yeah. Um, in 63, they get their first top 10 single with Surf in USA. And uh, that is the first time on that, on that particular song that Brian decides he wants to double track some vocals. And that sort of changes their, their sound after that. And they, it gives, gives them kind of a deeper vocal sound. Um, and that album hits number, the album of the same name, Surfing USA, hits number two on the Billboard charts, and they're off and running at this point. Yeah. And then by, by the end of 63, David Marks leaves, and they get Al Jardine back in the band. And, uh, and then something happens in 1964 that kind of changes everything. <laughs> we just <laughs> mentioned it briefly. I ago. think we mentioned this almost every podcast about this but, change yeah. having a profound effect on people. Yeah. Um, Airplane incident? Is that what we're talking with Brian Wilson? No. Oh, 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 the Beatles. Sorry. <laughs> we're talking about the Beatles and the British invasion. Right. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. That happened. Yeah. <laughs> but thing. but here's another remarkable thing. You get this. You get this milestone in music that essentially changes. And this happens from time to time. We get these milestones where all of a sudden everybody's like, "Oh, we got to do this. We got to do this." The Beach Boys were one of the first bands that were around pre-Beatles that were able to hold their own post-Beatles. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, if you'll recall from 
American pie. When the sergeant's band took the field, they refused to yield, and nobody else could get on the uh, on the field after all, all the American uh, pop artists just kind of got pushed out of the way. Yeah, you know, the, the, the Beach Boys invasion. were able to hang in there, and Bobby Dylan. But, he uh, well, and the other thing that changes is uh, Brian decides I'm not writing surf music anymore right. at that point either. <laughs> yeah, it and, was a huge challenge to his ego. They, uh, yeah, he's like, I, he felt it. He felt it exactly. Challenge is the exact word. He said, I, I, I gotta, I gotta make sure that we're still able to keep up with this stuff. And they release when I, uh, they re- release I Get Around in May of '64, and it hits number one. It's their first single to do so. And, uh, and it's like I said, that's, that's I mean, a great song, and, but it's post Beatles and they're able, yeah. and, and they're able to, to essentially while the subject matter might change, it's still a beach Boys song and, uh, and yeah. they're able to keep their own or hold their own against the, against the Beatles. And so. I even read, uh, saw an interview with, uh, one of the beach boys, Bruce Johnston, and he said that they were in. Even though he wasn't a member of the band, then he said they were in direct competition. They saw themselves as competing with the Beatles. It, it's that's funny to me because the band I always think about the the American band I always think about is the Birds. But I think the Birds were less in oh we're in competition and more in oh we'll just see if we can do what they're doing over here. And they they sort of had a friend, friendly rivalry. But it sounds like the Beach Boys took that significantly more seriously than yeah. the Birds did. I mean, he was always Brian Wilson was always trying to like he was just fun, fascinated with. Uh, harmonies and with their chord progressions and well, the, he was always trying to the, the birds came after the Beatles. That's true. Yeah. The Beach Boys were, uh, uh, were uh, on top uh, of the absolutely perch. valid point. And then yeah. here come the Beatles. Yeah. Like, yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I get it's it. Like yeah. like if we were to start a band well, it's like what we wouldn't feel challenged by the Beatles. Is it who was it who was it? Is it Hank Thompson that felt that way about Elvis? Yeah, yeah. He's like, uh, who's this upstart? You know? <laughs> uh, I think it was Hank Thompson. I'm yeah. probably getting that wrong. But anyway. Thank you very much. So, yeah. So, going back to 64 being another sort of very big moment in the band. Um, in December of that year, Brian Wilson ends up marrying this um, Marilyn R- Ravel, um, who is uh, 16 at the time. <laughs> and he's uh, he's 21. Ladies and gentlemen, we do not approve. <laughs> um, and they had been dating for a while anyway. They're about to start a tour and about to go on their second trip overseas. And the first, the kickoff of that tour is in Houston. So they're on a plane. They're flying to Houston from L.A. He says goodbye to Maryland. They're not getting along very well at the time. And um, um, before he gets on the flight, uh, Brian Wilson um has this weird reaction to the way she looks at Michael Love, and he thinks, Oh my God, she's in love with him. And five minutes into the flight to Houston, he starts, he breaks down essentially on the flight. He's, he's uh, starts crying into a pillow. He starts making weird shrieking noises. He spins out of his seat, starts falls to the floor and starts crying. And nobody knows what the heck to do about this. <laughs> um, they land in Houston and he wants to go back to LA and they're like, uh, got things to do. He, he goes back to his hotel room. He gets himself together. He plays the Houston show and then goes back to LA. And that is the last time for 12 years that Brian Wilson ever played live with the band again. He made an album with, uh, speaking of the four freshmen, he made, they made a Christmas album and he was kind of enamored with the way that they were, they used the studio uh, the four freshmen's uh, arranger 
Dick was, Reynolds. Dick Reynolds yeah. was the guy, and he just became kind of he wanted to do make that sound, reproduce that sound as much as he possibly could, and he wanted to write songs that would you know allow for that. So he just became much more enamored with the studio and getting the best players he possibly could to help him. Um, so. Before we and we're about to get into talking about pet sounds before we do that do you guys know who who replaced him on the on the tour after he stopped playing live with them for that tour glenn campbell stone cow glenn campbell Campbell. who is a yeah if you think that glenn campbell is just rhinestone cowboy you got another thing coming he is a phenomenal he well he was he was a phenomenal guitar player and phenomenal musician in general but he was a phenomenal guitar player and a member of the wrecking Wrecking crew crew, yeah in fact You remember that story about Frank Sinatra? Yes. Why does that guitar player keep looking at me? <laughs> well, Glenn Campbell was just amazed to be in the studio yeah. with, but he goes, "Is he gay?" <laughs> well, since uh, since you mentioned the Wrecking Crew, So we're going into connections and just to explain it again to everybody, this is the point in the podcast where we talk about an out al- the album we're talking about tonight and how it could be possibly connected to it. Well, artists album we're talking about tonight, how they could possibly be connected to other artists slash albums we've talked about on the podcast previously. So I'm going to go first to jam. Do you have any connections jam? Well, I got, I'll start off with two, uh, Hal Blaine, who's been on, numerous podcasts that we've talked about before. He is the drummer, pretty much the de facto drummer for um, the Wrecking Crew. And he has played with Harry Nilsson before. And who else was he on? What other albums? Uh, we've mentioned, mentioned him, him several times. times. Yeah. He has more number. He played on more number one albums than anybody else in the entire universe. Yeah. 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 Um, there you go. And the other, well, you want me to keep going? Yeah, go ahead, and okay. then I'll go to Doug. The other one I have is another Wrecking Crew alum. is a guy by the name of Larry Nettle. We brought him up before. He plays piano on this. He's also a, a phenomenal bass player. Do, so, you, do you know what album we could connect him to that we talked about? Yes, we can connect him to uh, Harry Nilsson. And Dave Mason. Dave Mason. He plays piano he plays on Together it, yeah. Alone, yeah. yeah, which we talked about. He's also... We've Alone also, Together? Yeah. He played the piano <laughs> oh, to uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water, which he won, I believe Sorry. he won his Grammy for. Oh, yeah. there you go. Uh, Doug, do you have any connections? Van Morrison. Okay, what's the connection with Van Morrison? We did Van Morrison's album, No Guru, No Method, No Teacher. And that was his 16th album. <laughs> That's your connection. <laughs> That's a connection. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to bring up one then, if that's okay. <laughs> Orville Red Rhodes, who plays steel guitar on this, pedal steel. The Birds? No. He plays pedal steel on the Willis Allen Ramsey album. Is that oh, right? Oh, yeah. wow. That's a okay. good one. All right. Do you have any other ones? That's Jam? almost as good as mine. <laughs> um, no, but I do have a... A strange, uh, per, there's an unusual person that plays on us. Daryl Dragon? Daryl Dragon. Who's and that, he, JM? Daryl Dragon was one half of the Captain and Tennille. And that connects to Williams Allen. <laughs> it, 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 it does. It does. He plays, he plays uh, 
bass on this, right? He plays some bass on this. Uh, yes, he does play bass on this, but he also he's a, a multi instrumentalist. Right. But he's probably known best for his keyboard P- yeah, work. He, kind of strange keyboard works. He plays a lot of weird keyboards and like synthesizers and stuff. And his brother, uh, Dennis, who is in a band with Daryl before the Captain and Tennille plays drums on well, this. There you go. You got, and then there's another They met, they didn't Captain and Tennille, <laughs> didn't Captain and Tennille, uh, meet while working I think so. for the Beach Boys? Yeah. She was singing. She or? was singing and he was the keyboardist on the tour. Yeah. Uh, any other connections? Cause I've got a couple more. I think you should give your more before I say some more yeah. really bad ones. <laughs> All right. Uh, Lyle Ritz. I give up. I give up. He uh, plays bass on this album. He also played bass on Aerial Ballet by Harry Nielsen. There you All go. Right. A lot of Nielsen covers. All right. Uh, and then the last one I have is John Guerin, if that's how you Guerin. He plays drums on this album. He and Lowell George uh, from Little Feet were both members of the Mothers of Invention at the same time, and they both appear on the Hot Rats LP, even though Lowell George is uncredited on that. And we, of course, talked about Lowell George and Little Feet on the Little Feet episode. So that connects us to Little Feet. That's right. One of America's greatest bands. And if you don't like them, you're a horrible person. (laughs) All right. Any other connections, guys, before we move on? I'm used up. My my vast resources are empty. Uh, I do want to say one thing about... Just real quick, because it's funny about one of the guys, another person on this band. I don't know how much you're going to go into details about the people who played on this album jam, but I find it immensely entertaining that James Burton is listed as playing acoustic, acoustic guitar, guitar on yeah. this album. Because <laughs> that's what you think of when you think of James Burton yeah. is, oh, we need him to play a little acoustic lick here or there. Yeah. But anyway. James um, Burton, ladies and gentlemen, has uh, played with Elvis Presley, and he has played with... He, my favorite work of his is with uh, the Nielsen, uh, Ricky Nielsen. Ricky. Not the guitar player for Cheap Trick. Ricky Nelson. Ricky Nelson. Yes. Thank you. That's Ricky okay. Nelson. Yeah, I know. We've got Nelson. a lot of Nielsen. That Ricky Nelson stuff is great. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> in 1965, by the time they released the Beach Boys Today album, they've dumped all the beach themes and they start recording songs that are considered kind of more personal. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's Brian Wilson's like, all that beach stuff is antiquated. I don't want to do that anymore. And he starts, mm-hmm. as you said, Jam, diving into production. And this album, The Beach Boys Today, is really the first time the group starts using that album as art form. Mm-hmm. And they start uh, using the studio. Beach Boys Today is a very good album. Uh, if I were forced to compare it to a uh, Beatles album, I'd say it's like their help album. Okay. A lot of strong music on it, and definitely you can tell they're taking they're taking a step into the uh, to something new. There's one thing we need to say that happens during this time. Brian Wilson stops touring, but they get another guy to play bass for them on stage by the name of by a guy by the name of Bruce Johnston. Oh, okay. Sorry. And uh, he that's important. He, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty important because he does become kind of a songwriting force for him. And a great voice. Yeah, he's got a great voice. And he uh, had been in bands previously. He was kind of a uh, I don't know what you a man for hire. He wrote some songs. He had a songwriting partner. He 
went on to write one of the biggest hits that uh, of 1975, probably the biggest hit of 1975, not done by the Beach Boys, originally done by the Captain and Tennille, but made most famous by Barry Manilow, I Write the Songs. Uh, now everybody right. hates him. <laughs> yeah. A pretty good musician. He was actually classically trained on piano, but I think they stuck him on bass on the on the tour. But which was what Brian blood's Wilson thicker played. than talent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, and he's well, he's got. And it's funny because he's written. He writes some of my favorite songs on the album we're talking about. Yeah, tonight, yeah so. he does. Yeah. He's a good songwriter. There's no question about it. And uh, if I could have written, I write the songs. I would have just so I could have that big fat payday and have yeah. all that mailbox money coming in. Yeah. Um, there's another thing that happened that, that we can't skip over, and that's called. Rubber Soul. Ah. Uh, Brian Wilson heard Rubber Soul and it knocked him knocked him off his feet. Mm-hmm. One of the most important things about that album was he discovered these songs all fit together. Yeah. yeah. This album is a complete and I don't know if we've ever talked about that before on this show, but uh, that's something that happened in the late sixties. The best bands started to realize the potential of the larger network. So he is realizing the potential of the uh, format. Yeah, the album is art form. And yeah. that's the response to that, of course, is Pet Sounds. So let me let me ask you guys both a question about Pet Sounds. Um, same question. You can answer either way. Was that an outlier or can you see a progression going from earlier stuff and does the stuff after does it fit in the arc of the band or is it just you pull pet sounds out you put it up on a pedestal and then there's the rest of the beach boy stuff i'll go to you first doug i don't see anything in their catalog that hints that that's about to happen okay to me i you know we're so incapable of understanding this music as it was coming out, since we heard it all at the same time. But when I hear Pet Sounds, that sounds like I'm suspicious of alien involvement. It (laughs) just sounds so... It started off as a solo album, right? Right, yeah. And I'm assuming at some point he's real. Brian Wilson's like, I can't do this by myself. He can't. He, he realized he can't do it by himself. And I think Mike Love wasn't real happy with the idea of him doing his, his own stuff. And, you know, Mike Love had a little bit more to do with Pet Sounds than I realized. He, um, he, according to whom? According to Mike Love. <laughs> <laughs> but that's he a, did. That's a constant. Uh, that's a constant. Uh, well, he got him theme. to change one no, of the I mean, songs. He's, yeah. Th- but there is always two stories th- right. to everything that happens after this point. Yeah, right. there there is a contentious relationship between Brian Wilson and Mike Love. Well, Mike Love really wanted to be... he kind of saw himself as the leader of the band and uh he really wanted to have control over what songs were being released and uh he kind of wanted to dictate what brian wilson wrote yeah he's somebody should have taught should have had him talk to Derek taylor because Derek Derek taylor gets involved Derek taylor who was you know the the Beatles guy yeah. and involved with the birds. He gets involved as the, as the beach boys publicist at this point, And he's the one who was the first to start the Brian Wilson is a genius thing going on. I mean, that was his deal. He was yeah. like, he put that out in the public and, uh, and I can imagine being a member of that band and going, where is that coming from? And not right. being real happy about it. <laughs> Love is more of a business minded kind of guy. Right. And he said, we got these 
hits coming out. Why do we want to mess with the formula? Right. He's also the one that is the furthest away from all the drugs and the heavy drinking and all of that. He's yeah. He's 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 like a businessman in a rock band. I didn't. I don't know where this album, where Pet Sounds came from. I didn't see a tra- direct trajectory to it. I think the thing that I think you have to look to the Beatles to see where it came from, right. not other Beach Boys albums. Yeah, I think he's. So he hears he hears Rubber Soul, and he's responding. He's to responding that. to Rubber yeah. Soul. Okay, well then here's the second part to that question: is is there a line from that album to what comes after it? Well, there's that. Yes. That's yes, one time, <laughs> good vibrations, and then. That's when Brian Wilson comes apart. I think that that's where, yeah, Brian Wilson was kind of the catalyst. And I said this earlier, the catalyst for the rest of the Beach Boys saying, hey, what else, what can we do? Let's talk about Good Vibrations briefly, because that was the first time that, if if I'm remembering this right, that was the first time the band gets together or Brian Wilson gets together and they're recording a song, not live in the studio. That song is pieced together in the studio. Oh, yeah. Wrong that, about that? I, yeah. I, I would love to just hear the whole recording of that because it is pieced together. I'm picking up good vibrations. She's giving me the excitations. I'm picking up that song is Brian Wilson and the Wrecking Crew for months. Yeah, they, before the the rest of the band. It was recorded in, in four different studios. Yeah, um, and it costs yeah the most expensive, a lot of money. <laughs> the most expensive single ever produced at the time. At the time. Uh, but you know what? It's their third number one single, and it tops the Billboard Hot 100 in December, and it becomes their first number one single in in the UK. And it is it's tough to top that song. It oh, it's I think if you look on any list of greatest rock and roll singles, if that's not in the top ten, you're not de- dealing with a serious list. Yeah, and good vibrations along with pet sounds had a profound effect on the Beatles. Oh, absolutely. So, absolutely. I think um, it was McCartney has said without uh, pet sounds, there wouldn't have been Sergeant Peppers and yeah. Sergeant Peppers was a McCartney project. You know, yeah. I, I often wonder because before, you know, I've, I've mentioned this bef- at, at the beginning of this podcast that I have a complex relationship with this band. Um, before we listened to sunflower and it kind of changed my perspective. I always said, I always felt like Odyssey and Oracle, out Beach Boys, the Beach Boys, because I love that album so much. But I don't ever hear the zombies talking about the Beach Boys. But they can't; they could not have made that album without Pet Sounds. I don't think. I, well, I think you're right. I think there's a lot of stuff that wouldn't have been made without Pet Sounds. Uh, I, one of the reasons I picked this record is all the albums we were doing that reminded me <laughs> of this record. Yeah, yeah. Particularly Jellyfish. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's there's that obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's, I I didn't I didn't know how influential the Beach Boys were in, I guess '90s music. Is that is that where I would? Put yeah, that? I think that's probably yeah, 90s, right. Yeah, well, '90s stuff that wasn't grunge. Because yeah. as I've mentioned many times, I'd kind of dropped off. Yeah, and yeah. The, the Jellyfish was completely brand new band to me, and my first connection with Jellyfish is. Whoa, this sounds kind of like something I've heard before. Well, yeah. it's 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 yeah, it's that '90s power pop uh, and the and the side of power pop that was, I would say, more orchestral. 
It, you know, more yeah. and, and, yeah. and it's uh, and complex. And that's what I was going to say. It's not, a complex. Yeah, not just the straight ahead sort of three three chords. It's, harmony. There's nothing. And there's, there's nothing uh, I've been listening to your uh, power pop advent calendar. And a lot of that music is really, really simple. Yes. It's really, really fun. And it's really, really simple. And Jellyfish doesn't do that. No. Jelly, jellyfish comes at this in a complete different direction. I think a lot of that difference comes from the influence of the Beach Boys. Or it seemed that way to me going no, through those albums. Yeah. I think you're right. I think yeah. you're absolutely right. Um, well, I think also uh, we can't talk about where we get to with the album we're talking about tonight without mentioning Smile. And what that or you know, smiley smile. Well, as, as Doug, Doug, I think Doug mentioned it. Maybe you did jam that. Um, I get you guys confused sometimes. You look so much alike. <laughs> uh, that the uh, the things start. Brian Wilson after Good Vibrations and um, Pet Sounds sort of s- starts having some issues. <laughs> and and this album Smile um, was sort of this masterpiece in his mind. It's that he was kind of like on. I always say. It's it's like. Uh, Pete Townsend's Life House. You know, nobody really knew what was what was going on, and there was just such a grand ambition that uh, Brian Wilson had for Smile that it just never. Well, uh, you, you wonder if it was maybe t- he bit off more than he could chew. Well, I think sometimes a person can conceptualize something that they can't realize. Yeah, yeah. And if you if everybody's calling you a genius, and you start believing them, yeah, then. That doesn't make it easy for you to put out a pop album. No. You have to do something grander than Pet Sounds, and I don't know if that's possible. Well, and he worked on that. He worked on Smile for a year. Yeah. A year. Um, And if you're on drugs and going crazy at the same time, a lot of things become difficult, like getting out of bed. Yeah. (laughs) Which he also had a hard time doing eventually. And then when you fill your living room up with sand and... um, Sticking your piano on top of it. Yeah. (laughs) And then you start running around pretending like it's a fire station. Stuff gets hard. Well, And I think if we need to understand this on a a documentary about the uh, Dewey... Uh, Dewey Cox. Dewey Cox story <laughs> covers this pretty well. <laughs> we'll we'll post that video on the web, on the web page. Uh, true, true to life, Perfect. Dewey Cox story. Um, so there's also uh, around the same time with they're working on Smile. There's some legal issues. Yeah, and the Beach Boys sue Capital because they want to terminate their contract with them and collect twenty two twenty. I'm sorry, two hundred twenty five thousand dollars in outstanding back royalties that they're due. Um, by July of that year of 1967, Capital announces that they'd settle with the band, and uh, and the Beach Boys would now have their own label called Brother Records, and it would be distributed by Capital. And Smile is canceled because it's taken too long. Mm-hmm. But they're still under a contract with Capital for an album. So they release essentially what I guess the public considers a low-key version of Smile called... Mm-hmm. Smiley Smile. Smiley Smile. And um, that's that's basically... Uh, that was sort of an unplugged album before there were such things as unplugged albums. Right. Yeah. And that the lead single is Heroes and Villains. <laughs> And uh, Heroes and Villains and the the actual album, Smiley Smile, are the first things released on the Brother label. It's the last thing 
released on the Brother label. It's distributed by Capital. It reaches number twelve in the in the U.S. and it gets very midland reviews. And in fact, in New Music Express, J- Jimi Hendrix called it psychedelic barbershop, <laughs> <laughs> which is um, which is maybe not fair, but it's awfully funny. Yeah, it is. It is a funny comment. Um, so then they they uh, they attempt a little bit at least to change their sound slightly uh, at this time. They yeah they do start uh, embracing some of the. Well, they released Wild Honey. Wild which, Honey, which is a little harsher, a little more rocking than probably. And uh, it's got some, I think this is where more of the band started actually Well, the, the band starts to have to step up now because Brian's not yeah. able to. And yeah. I, I would, I'd, I'd like to tell everybody, I got really close to picking Wild Honey uh, because it's a really good album. It is. Um, but there's this one's better, but not by much. But this is something that also is happening is, you know, more of the band's writing, but they're also kind of embracing that Eastern mysticism that the Beatles were doing. They even went on that uh, trip to India with a Maharishi. The Dennis picks the wrong mystic in yes, a little while. And but, then, <laughs> but we'll get yes, there in a second. <laughs> yeah. So they, they, they do start kind of embracing what's happening in the, in the sixties, but yeah. Um, they're not going to capture an audience the way that Jimi Hendrix or right. who's going to capture it. The rock uh, shake movers and shakers start to turn their backs on them. DJs stop playing their music. They're not considered hip anymore by a lot of people. And it's starting to show a bit. Even though Wild Honey sells better than Smiley Smile. It still it didn't didn't do great, and then in '68 is kind of, is a pretty tough year for the band. Uh, as as I mentioned when I said sort of flippantly about the Mystic, Dennis Wilson gets caught up with Charles Manson, <laughs> <laughs> um, which and, is yeah, and actually starts writing songs with with. Uh, well, they put a Charles Manson song on 2020, I believe, yeah. on that album uh, with new words. Yeah, with with yeah, and uh, I think that eventually Dennis said, "Oh no, he didn't even write that either." Yeah, it was a Manson song called "Cease to Exist." It was rewritten as "Never Learn Not to Love," and uh, as things start getting going downhill with the Manson family, uh, this is before, of course, uh, the Tate um, Bianca La, yeah. La Bianca murders. Yeah, they're uh, so. They're so stereotyped as just murderers. <laughs> uh, he starts to distance himself a bit from, well, from Manson. Well, Manson says he wants to kill him because he stole his song yeah. Yeah. and changed the words. And he, he uh, Dennis Wilson abandons his house mm-hmm. to the Manson to the family, Manson family. Yeah. because... Yeah, they basically he brought he loses he picked hundreds up two, of thousands of dollars to them. Yeah, they yeah. crashed. They they uh, total his rolls. Yeah, they total his rolls, and they he's lends them so much money, and they it's all going to drugs. And and before he picks up two hitchhikers, next thing he knows, he comes back from a recording. And there's session. a bunch of people. There's in a bunch his of home. people that's yeah. living in his house, and yep. one of them's Charles Manson, who meets him at the front door. Um. So yeah, he basically has the Manson family living at his mansion in mm-hmm. and, and um Manson's in the mansion. Yep. yep. And this the same time Brian Wilson gets admitted to a hospital around this time. It's just not not good. And yeah. their album sales are not doing what they used to. They're starting to really drop. And Capital is coming back saying, hey, we're not you make all the albums you want. We're not distributing them if there's well <laughs> yeah they they actually have another a, another lawsuit. Um with the band, I mean, with uh, with Capital, and um, 
And they, uh, I think this time they, uh, I forget how many back royalties they're saying they need, but they start to, they sue them again. And essentially what happens is they end up leaving, they end up leaving the label, uh, at that moment and they get, uh, they start looking for another label to sign them. And it's not exactly yeah, easy not exactly, for them to do They're that. not a hot commodity. Well, though. they're having trouble. And then Brian Wilson mentions that they might have to file bankruptcy mm-hmm. and, um, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you're shopping your band out for an album, but one of the things you don't do is mention that you're about to file for bankruptcy. <laughs> Apparently that's not attractive. <laughs> not yeah. with the chicks either. No. Yeah. Well, they, they end up, um, they end up signing, eventually signing with Warner brothers, uh, subsidiary reprise in late 69, which oddly enough, uh, was the home of Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> uh, it's kind of funny. Yeah. And they re- resurrect the brothers label and they build a studio mm-hmm. and, um, and Mo Osten, who's the chief of Warner brothers really believes this band still has something to offer. And, um, and he thinks that they can write their ship in the U S cause they're still, it's, it's weird. They're big, still big in the UK Yeah, it, where they're having issues is selling stuff on their home turf. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, in February 70, they've got enough material to put out an album and they submit this album stuff. They've been working on, uh, songs that they've been working on, uh, while they were trying to figure out whether they were going to release something else on, on capital or not. And they submit this acetate to Mo Osten and the Warner brothers executives. And what happens jam? Well, they like some of it, but they don't like most of it. <laughs> they That's ask right. him to basically, uh, Hey, come up with some more stuff. And, um, they do, they, other guys start writing stuff and, um, they eventually cobble together, what is going to be this album? Well, what's interesting is they release what they call a trial single. I guess the label wanted to see if 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 their their faith in them was well, you know, established. And they yeah. so they uh, release in February. Add some music to your day, backed with uh, Susie Cincinnati, and it peaks at number sixty four. Mm-hmm. Spends five weeks on the Billboard Hot one hundred, but it's. Uh, you know, that's not what they're expecting. Yeah. Uh, it does not do what they're hoping to do. Yeah. Um, and then they, uh, that's when, yeah, they're like, you need to do something else. And so they, they cobbled some songs together and get kind of get this yeah. thing back to going. They did end up releasing their last album on Capitol. It was released without their input. Yeah. Without the, their input. Live, right? live in London. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and and an interesting thing that happens is while they're continuing to work on what would eventually become Sunflower, uh, this Warner Brothers A&R guy, Lenny Warwonker, yeah. goes and visits De- uh, Brian Wilson. And uh, Brian Wilson plays him Cool, Cool Water, a yeah. song that he wrote, and co-wrote he loves with it. Mike. Yeah, Mike Love, and he loves it. And he's like, that's got to be, you got to put that on this album. Yeah. Um they end up releasing another single in June of 70 called slip with slip on through in this whole world. And it fails to chart and they're like, okay, but they decide they're going to, they, they finally get a group of songs that the, the label executives are good with them releasing and they decide they're going to do it. And then they all gather together for this lovely album cover to, <laughs> to take the picture of, of the cover of sunflower. Um, and the funny thing is that the picture was taken by Dean Martin's son. 
Is that right? Oh, he was in a band too, wasn't he? Ricky Martin. Ricky and Martin, not the yeah. Ricky Martin, not Ricky we, Martin we, we all know yeah. and love, but a yeah. different Ricky Martin spelled R-I-C-C-I. <laughs> um, theme song. He did? What's that? Living the Vida Loca. <laughs> I just wanted you guys to hear Doug sing Living the Vida Loca. <laughs> that was Spanish, by the way. <laughs> um Anyway, so yeah, so if you haven't seen the cover, uh, we'll just look at it on the web page and you'll see. It's, it's One word describes the cover very well. Yeah. I think the Almond Brothers did it. But. <laughs> and they're sitting there with their kids. Yeah. Um, it looks like brothers and sisters on the Almond Brothers, except yeah. Almond Brothers look like proper uh, groovy hippies. <laughs> These look like uh, Donnie and Marie hippies. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Brian Wilson just looks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it looks lost on the cover of that. Now, this is <laughs> Brian Wilson looks lost on most of the pictures oh, yeah. in this period. This point, yeah, period. Anyway, okay, guys, you ready to start talking about the album? I think we should. I think we should. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's start with the first song as we are often doing. Yeah, we do them in order. It's yes. something that we do here. Yeah. First song on side one. That's how you listen to albums? Slip on through. Ready? We're gonna start out with a Dennis. Dennis Wilson. I almost said Dennis Miller tune. There's no place to go. I know a place where you can go. You've got the ticket. Come on, slip inside. And let my song take you for a ride. There's that classic Beach Boys sound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really not indicative of, of uh, the Beach Boys, but it is kind of... That's why I find it intriguing. Yeah. It, I, I, in fact, this whole period where they do a lot of things where they don't sound like the Beach Boys is intriguing yeah. to me. Well, this song was co-written with uh, Greg J- uh, Jacobson, Jacobson yeah. who's also plays... Uh, an important part of the Manson story yeah. as well, but we won't get into that. But he was buddies with Dennis, and they co-wrote this song together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's a it's an okay song. It sounds a little too much like I'm conscious of what's going on in the music business right now, and I want to sound like so. That. Um, there's three songs on this album that I think kind of fit into the same mold as this one. They don't all, they don't sound the same, but they sound different right. enough from everything else that they, I, I kind of think of them as one group. And I'll, and, and it's funny because the first time we talked about this, I felt a little bit differently about this album, uh, than I do now about those songs, I should say, than I do now. Um, I think the issue with me with, with this song and the other two is they sound dated in a way that the rest of the album does not sound dated. They sound very much a, like a 1970s song, as right. you said, very like, oh, this is what's going on. Let's do it. It's not that that doesn't make them bad. No, it's but just it sounds like... It's a comparison like to everything else on the album. I see big bright lights uh, and just uh, groovy uh, soundstage for for the, you know, in a, in a live studio audience, but with piped in clapping. And it's almost like it could be on a Flip Wilson show or, you know... <laughs> <laughs> the, the, <laughs> I could see go-go dancers in the back with, and you, you What's know, what's wrong with go-go dancers? Well, uh, um, you know, big unusual shapes on the, on the stage. What the hell is that chirping sound? I don't know. I don't Do know. you know what that is, Doug? <laughs> no, but, uh, 
it's much more pronounced when it's on headphones. Yeah. <laughs> you know you know what I will say about this song though is the chorus is an earworm and a yeah, half. That is, chorus will chorus get stuck great. in your head and, and you can't it's shake fun. it. It is. It is it is. I agree, just, I agree with everything y'all said. Uh the one thing that I would say is I don't care if it sounds like that period of time because I haven't shared this with y'all, but this is one of my favorite periods of music. <laughs> well, I, listen, I understand that. And again, uh, listening to it the second time around, I did not feel I, like these songs felt different to me. And I, I enjoyed yeah. them a lot more, but they still stand out like a sore thumb. Again, I, there's three songs that I pull off this album and group together, even though they don't sound that yeah. much alike. And then there's the rest of the album. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's weird to me that that's the case. But that's kind well, of, they're all Dennis songs. Yeah, uh, probably are. Maybe. Yeah. Well, he was, Dennis was becoming a good songwriter. Well, this is uh, this is important. One of the important things about that album, one of the reasons I picked it was, this is not a Brian Wilson album. This is everybody in the band pitching in. Yeah. And uh, I think that makes it less coherent than Pet Sounds, but there's some there's something interesting about, okay, who's up now? And I, I enjoy that part of this album. You're, I didn't realize that. You're absolutely right. They are all Dennis Wilson songs, although he writes one of my favorite songs on this album, too. But it's weird. Yeah. I didn't realize that. So, yeah, it's the Dennis Wilson songs. So, yeah. Dennis is rocking. He is rocking. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, now, after my speech about this not being a Brian Wilson uh, album, here comes a Brian Wilson song. Yeah. Next song, This Whole World. So uh, you, you cut it off before we get to that absolutely amazing right like part. Uh, oh, the sorry, end. Well, the course. way this song ends is amazing too. Yeah. I mean, you could play the end and you could put that in an endless loop, and I'd be very happy. It's it's and you know what? I think I am discovering something. Uh oh. My favorite singer of the Beach Boys is Carl. Well, that's who sings on this. That might, that I, might that was, tell I you I think something. that was Brian Wilson's favorite singer, too. Yeah. He um, is a great... Once it, there was a point, I guess it was uh, uh, God Only Knows, yeah. where he decides that Carl's the man. Well, he's got this little crack that comes in his yeah. voice. It's, it's, it's yeah. just so... It's, it's a little ache there whenever yeah. he sings that I'd like. And and this has got uh, Brian Wilson's wife and her sister, the Ravels, <laughs> yeah. singing backgrounds on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. You know, it's funny. This he said it took him ninety minutes to write the song. He woke up at two o'clock in the morning. Brian Wilson, we're talking about. He went down to his white Baldwin organ and was just playing around and thinking about love and the whole world. Yeah. And it was inspired. Ninety <clears throat> minutes he wrote this song. One, yeah, um, it, I love this song because it's got that thing that Brian Wilson does so so well where you think you know where the song is going to go and it doesn't go there and it keeps you on your toes when you're listening it, to it that's uh, the other brown wilson thing is wow this is a simple cute song no and then you find out how complicated everything well, is Dar- daryl dragon who as we talked about the the captain i'm captain Tamil, he plays electric harpsichord and chimes and tubular bells on this uh-huh. track and he said from a harmony standpoint he'd never heard a song like this since he'd been in pop music 
he didn't he never heard a song go through so many chord changes as this song does there's a lot of chord changes there's key changes and it's a it's a unusual another unusual the most song. important thing that tony just said was electric harpsichord <laughs> i didn't know there was such thing it's kind of a clavichord but i think there is a there's That's cool there's, i want one um and then there's a six string bass on this yeah. as well yeah um and, and brian brian wilson was uh was fond of this song. He put it on a solo album. Yeah, he, you know? he recorded it twice more, didn't he? Well, he 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 produced it for that the group, his wife and sister's group, and oh. then he and then he put it on a solo album. I just wasn't made for these times. Okay, so yeah, he lo- loved the song. Yeah, well, it was a great song. It is. It's a, great a very song. fine, very fine song, and it's followed by another very fine song. Add some music to your day. Track three. This sounds more one. Brian Wilson either than the last one. I think. Mm-hmm. I love this song. I, I do think too. It's, every it's time Brian Love sings a song, it sounds like spoken word to me. But this That's why I call him the narrator. You mean Mike Love? Who's Brian Love? <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah, this is this is a competition for my favorite song on this album. I love I, that guitar. This that another earworm. You know what's what's kind of neat about this song is there's it's just the Beach Boys. There's no outside musicians on this song whatsoever, which was unusual wow, for them at very the time. Unusual. I think they all get a turn singing. Yep. And uh, it's also remarkable because it has, I think, some of the, the most horrible lyrics of any <laughs> Beach Boys. They're not that bad. They, I, are little, they make me go, Ugh. they're and not I, that I bad. I have to ignore them. I like the I rock love song. like the Rolling Stones. Well, that's bad. <laughs> and you I go to that. the dentist and they'll play music and the preacher's going to use it in his songs. Well, that's a weird line. <laughs> music in your, what, when do you don't use music in your songs? I mean, <laughs> no, um, Psalms. Oh, Psalms. Okay. I, it rhymed. Uh, I got everything you. in this every that's why you don't like it i don't like um, and then it's it's these these it's not the beatles it's not uh eric burden and the animals you know it's the rolling stones because right. it rhymes i like i love i'm a sucker for songs that talk about the salvation of the of the of world, the world by music. music i do and it, it sounds like i write the songs kind of he's getting into that maybe that's where bruce johnson got the idea maybe i don't know I, I do. Like. I do. Um, I saw a great meme today with Robert Plant. I'm sure he didn't have anything to do with it, but it says, turn off the news and listen to music. And uh, <laughs> I think that's excellent advice for about half of America right now. <laughs> Maybe for all of America. And uh, particularly albums we recommend. <laughs> all righty. So now we're going to slide into another Dennis Wilson track. Number four on side one, Got to Know the Woman. I just met. think you have to hear too much more than that to get the gist of the whole song yeah one thing that's always odd about uh 
Dennis Wilson saw it. He, he seems to not like having the rest of the Beach Boys sing along. Yeah, these are female backups. Another female singer. backup vocals with them. Yeah. Um wonder why that is. I don't know. This is this is what I I read is like the funkiest the Beach Boys have has ever been. And it does have that kind of staccato piano yeah. in it that, you know. So I, I was walking. Does it remind you of Jerry Lee Lewis? You know what it almost reminds me of? I'm waiting for the man by the by the Velvet Underground. I'll, t- I'll tell you what I was thinking about this Dennis Wilson songs, because I was trying to come to grips with them. I was walking to the grocery store this morning, listening to this album. And I was thinking, okay, I don't dislike this stuff. It's just that it doesn't sound like what I, it's, it, it hurts my brain to think of it being the Beach Boys. Cause I was, the other night I was listening to uh, uh, 12 Dreams of Dr. Sardonicus, mm-hmm. right? 12 Dreams? Yeah. Spirit. The Spirit album. Yeah. And I was thinking, uh, you know, this isn't that much removed from what Spirit was doing in terms of musically. I mean, Spirit's different, but, you know, yeah. I Got a Line on You is a pretty f- little funky tune. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I love that song. So I, it's not, again, it's not that I don't like this stuff. It just, it's, it hurts my brain that it's on this album with the rest <laughs> of this music. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's different. I like this. I like this song. Are All right. I would never pull this album out. And to hear the, this yeah. song, you're right. I, yeah. I, it doesn't bother me. It's it's almost as close to neutral as it can be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I don't have anything to say about it because it's so neutral. Yeah. There's really not much. I mean, it doesn't upset me, but at the same time, I'm like, dog. There's not, nothing yeah, about it that it's not, it's not what I listen to the Beach Boys for. Or and um, anyway, and I, I think it's it's probably a good thing that they were branching out with some of this stuff hmm. i you know the first dennis song i think has a, a lot more to offer than this one well what's I, interesting yeah. is there's these three songs uh these dennis wilson songs that sound significantly more like what rock radio was playing at the time right, right. and the and the and the label says no we're gonna use one of these very beach boys sounding for songs single. for the singles yeah. and they don't do anything I wonder if the the singles would have done, done better if they had been Dennis Wilson, but then the buying public would have been like, what? They would have, they would, <laughs> who is this? Who is this? Yeah. Or if they bought the album, they would have been like, where's all this stuff we bought the album for? And it sounds like the Beach Boys, you know? Right. So anyway, it's kind of damned that. if you do, don't, damned if you don't. But yeah. all right, moving on to the next song, a very lovely song, Deirdre. This is a beautiful song. This is one of my favorite songs on the album. I think that Bruce Johnston may have my favorite songs on the album. Well, you know what he said? He says that he wished they hadn't recorded this song. Really? Yeah. Why? He said he said this song didn't do the band any favors, and I'm like, what? <laughs> well, probably because they're not on the band. Uh, I don't think the band is on it very much. The, this song sounds like... It hits all the things I love. I could hear, I hear Harry Nielsen in this. Mm-hmm. I hear Jellyfish in this. Yeah. I hear so many bands that I love in this song. It's funny you said you hear Harry Nielsen in this because when we were kids, yeah, there were TV shows in syndication that came out in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of them was 
the courtship of Betty's father, mm -hmm. which has Harry Nielsen's people. Let me tell you about my yeah. best oh, yeah. friend. So when I hear this song, I hear the introduction to a sitcom. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, it does sound like that. <laughs> I, and it's always like Alice, one day at a time, yeah, yeah. or even Mary Tyler Moore, yeah. where you have the single woman who's the only rational person on the entire show, and everybody else is this kind of out there character, yeah. but heck, she's friends with him. And so when it goes, Deed, you're always you imagining see, like, a face with, popping up yeah. <laughs> with her face and her hands out to the side going, what the heck's a person to do? Well, like, yeah, and that girl, every time she turns yeah, around. <laughs> that girl's another great example. Well, it's, it's so unfair to the band that it is so evocative of those pictures to me, but I can't get rid of yeah. the sitcom. This is one of those songs, though, that I think um, hits exactly the point you're talking about with Brian Wilson, even though it's not his song. I guess he co-wrote this song. Yeah. Um, this is a complicated probably. song. Yeah. Right. It doesn't sound that way, but when you listen to it, you realize, and I don't know, it, it, the little sort of de -de 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 -de, the little orchestration stuff. And, yeah. I mean, everything about this song, I, I well, just really I, I would encourage yeah. people to look up videos about Brian Wilson's songs. I would start with the uh, good vibrations and have someone that really knows a lot about music break it down for you so you can realize all the complicated things that are happening that are... Um, I was Just completely unaware of yeah. it. Yeah. The, uh, the Deidre, Deidre in this song uh, supposedly is Deidre Shaw, who is the daughter of Angela Lansbury, and Deidre Shaw was a one-time little satellite of the Manson family. <laughs> is that right? Oh, sweet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the... Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know I, I mentioned all those sitcoms. Are uh, Mary Tyler Moore's the outlier? Yeah. She had a great theme song. Oh, she did. Oh, yeah. You know who wrote it? No, John Sebat. No, I don't either. But he's car. one of the crickets. Oh, oh yeah. There's a video I have. It, yeah, he, I think he's, some yeah. some oh. power pop band. Well, who's who's who redid it? Husker Du did is that who, oh, yeah. wow. a punk band. Who, who can turn the... Yeah, that's Husker Du. I mean, they, that was a, a, a band that had... Uh, Bob Will definitely has a power pop leanings. Um, yeah. they put I, out I really... Some great, I think they did a good and, job with it. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, a great, great song. It's a fantastic... I think that guy's a Texan, too, I think, uh, that wrote the... Uh, Mary Tyler yeah. Mars if he's song. a cricket, yeah. wouldn't yeah. he be? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I don't know why that even came up, man. I tell you, if you want to be successful in rock and roll, name your band after a bug. <laughs> anyway, we're going to move on to the last song on the side of this album. It's about time. Another Dennis Wilson track. So you're going to tell me that doesn't have a, I got a line on you feeling <laughs> yeah, to it? Yeah, it does very much. Yeah. Very, very much. Yeah. And you know what I think of? What You were mentioning uh, the sitcoms. Uh, when we were talking about the, 
that variety shows earlier. This one to me, it's like one of those hard kidding cops, like in San Francisco yeah. and they've got the, he's, he's riding around in his car and he's, and they, they keep and showing, they, they're undercover and they have to put the little light <laughs> and on top of them. And, it's, and it's, there's scenes of the car jumping over. Yeah. 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 And, and he does remind, I think it's reminiscent of, uh, the temptations when mm-hmm. they when they weren't being nice, yeah. or it's even yeah. a little bit like Shaft, standing you know, on that theme to Shaft, it, yeah, with yeah. The wow, wow, wow. So I, I changed my mind a bit about this song because the first time we were talking about it, I said it reminded me of something off of Jesus Christ Superstar, and it I, sounds that, a little but bit like I, that, yeah. I, 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 I mean, I love that soundtrack. Don't get me wrong, but I don't. I meant that sort of semi disparaging when I said it. I don't feel that way anymore because the, the the spirit thing popped into my head. <laughs> And uh, and I get it. It's it's more my issues Especially with those these bongos in the back. Well, it, yeah. it's just like I said, my issues with those three songs are not that they're bad songs. It's that they just hurt my head. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to fit them together. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, and you, you I know, think James is exactly right about this bit. <laughs> the beginning of Starsky and Hutch or uh, Beretta. Streets of San it's Francisco. It's the best drums on the best drums on the album are on this song. Yeah, yeah. And you know who plays them? Hal Blaine. No. Earl, Earl, pa- Earl, Earl Palmer. I can't believe we have not had Earl Palmer on a, a podcast yet. We probably have. Just, well, he he's if you want to talk about him briefly, he's just can, another but, one of those session guys. He's played. He's known a little bit more for being hard hitting than uh, well, he's, the, Hal Blaine. They say that he's responsible for the creation of rock and roll because he was one of the first drummers to uh, take the backbeat and yeah. play it throughout the entire tune, right? Um, which wasn't done prior to him, and maybe yeah. some other people were doing it. But. Well, he was a jazz drummer. He started off in jazz, yeah. And uh, he he was one of the, he was an old. By, by the time this album was, he was pretty old. By the time yeah. this album was made, but he'd been around a while. Got that backbeat, you can't lose it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, another uh, reference to a bug. Um, anyway, uh, I, I I also want to. I think it's worth giving a shout out to Carl Wilson's guitar solo on this yeah, song because yeah. it's a good one. Yeah, it is. It's a good. Very, very yeah, good. about this time he's pretty highly regarded, and uh, you got to respect a guy that can go sit in with uh, the wrecking crew yeah. and not be told to put his instrument up yep. like yep. the monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's time to flip the album over, I believe. And 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 uh, I will say this before we get started: uh, my opinion of the second side of the album is it is a remarkable bit of music. Mm-hmm. This is. Uh, Tony's Gateway to the Beach Boys. <laughs> so side one, song one, side two, Tears in the Morning. Like those Europe noises, Jam? <laughs> the uh, French accordion there, yeah, concertina. Yeah, that sounds very much. I like it. I, I, this is, I like this song quite a bit. It's, I think it's one of my favorites. It, yeah, it, it uh, is going to sound weird, but every time I hear this song, it sounds like uh, Graham Parsons singing a Harry Nielsen song to me. <laughs> It sounds to me like this is Donny Osmond should have sang this at one of the, where they cut away to his face and he's looking at the camera at one point and then they cut away and they show the side of his face superimposed someplace else. Yeah. It, 
This is uh, this is a fantastic song. I love the way this song fades out. Yeah, it yeah. fades out so well. This is another uh, another Johnson song where yeah. he said uh, he felt it was too pop and it shouldn't have been included on the album. Well, you know, he used to play this song by himself yeah. at the piano when the, when it was first when they we first wrote oh, I it. That was, I bet that sounds good. I bet it does. I mean, I think he ought to not have any say on what albums what songs go on any album i agree with you yeah i I don't get it he's been wrong he's he's two (laughs) for two right now this Um, this is really good stuff and it fits fits with the rest of the album too it's got those cool backup vocals no it's a great song and it's a great way to slide into the second side this one of the things i like about this album is how different this is from the song that came just before Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. and if you're using if you're not just plugging in for their feelings, but you're using your head and you're thinking about this band, it's fun to listen to <laughs> all this yeah. stuff coming together. Yeah, it, It's like the the pieces come back together after Brian loses his mind and here's what you get. Yeah. And I, yeah. Fi- I find it really, uh, really interesting. All right. Going to song two on side two, All I Want to Do. Maybe my favorite song in the album. Uh, you're a fan of Chill Wave. I like this. Well, I love the way it's produced. You know who I I could see singing this song? Todd Rundgren. This sounds yeah, like no, something right. off a song. You, you, know, you know who produced this song? Uh-uh. Uh, Carl Wilson produced it. Carl Wilson with a little did. with some help from Brian, but yeah, this is wow. Carl Wilson. And it, produced this it. is one of Mike Love's best uh, singing jobs. Yeah, well, they, they he's, all. He's, I can't call him the narrator. Yeah, on this they all one. sing yeah. on it. But yeah, he's, he's got the lead, right? Um, it's a wonderful song, it, and it's it real transporting. I I mm-hmm. kind of lose my footing while I'm listening to it, just drifting off. Yeah. This was written earlier. It was going to be on the Friends album. It didn't make it. It was going to be oh, on yeah. 2020. It didn't make it. Um, it's I, the third time they recorded it, isn't or, it? Yeah, yeah. And there's a, a Moog on it, played by their engineer Stephen Desper, plays huh. a Moog on this song. Um, so I, I mentioned Chill Wave because this is considered. Yeah, One the father, of, if Chill not Wave, the yeah. father birth of Chill, of Chill Wave. Wave music. And for those of you who didn't know what it, don't know what Chill Wave was, because I didn't know what it was, it uh, <laughs> is it is it, it's a precursor to shoegaze. I don't no, know. No, shoegaze came before that, I, I think. But it's it. it's a uh, it's a micro genre <laughs> uh, that emerged in the late two thousands. It's characterized by. Uh, uh, music kind of harkening back to the seventies and the early eighties. The common feature is it's got, it's faded or dreamy. It's got escapist lyrics. I can see that. It's yeah. lo-fi, mm-hmm. uh, mellow vocals, moderate tempos. Uh, and this is what's so funny. <laughs> Supposedly chill wave flourished between 2008 and 2009. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a fan of chill wave. I think, I think I, I am too. To, well, I have to see what the rest of there, it is. There's a band I recommended on a previous podcast by an austin band called the shivery shakes um and uh and they sound 
they're a little bit more up tempo, but man, I would say that if they didn't listen to this song uh, and have it tattooed on their brains, then then I don't know, I don't know what. But well, it's yeah. very much that that type of stuff. So I, evidently, I'm a fan as well. It's not only that it, it's got that uh, <laughs> reverb sound. There's some sort of boards of Canada. I don't know. There's that's another. I'm thinking of all the atmospheric guys that I know. But there's some really cool sound that I've heard in. Uh, other songs that you just, I just don't know how they make that sound, but it, yeah. it, so, it sounds kind of like a, a sitar guitar, but I don't think it is. It's, but anyway, it's very interesting. It's very chill. It's very, very chill. chill. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on to another Dennis Wilson song, songs three on side two, but unlike the other three Dennis Wilson songs we've played so far <laughs> forever, it's almost chill wave. song i love that song this i think this is the best thing that dennis wilson ever did well brian this wilson is a said, very very uh well-loved song by uh many beach boys fans yeah, yeah brian wilson actually said it's uh the most harmonically beautiful thing he'd ever heard <laughs> which is um, good high praise coming from him yeah it was written by his co-writer that guy what is it Jacobson or yeah, Jake, oh, Jacobson. Jacobson. I think so. Jacobson. No, Greg and, uh, Jacobson. He, yeah, Brian Wilson also called it a rock and roll prayer. Huh. This is the song that's got uh, Red Rhodes on uh, pedal steel. Oh, man. Um, yeah, that, this song, that's a nice you, weepy pedal steel. Have you guys heard the acapella version of this without any of the instruments? Uh-uh. I bet it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's really, really, really great. It was uh, released on their on the 2001 Beach Boys album called Hawthorne, California, which is a bunch of outtakes and stuff. But it really, the thing I love about that version of the song is it shows how, uh, what works on this song so well is how fragile Dennis Wilson's vocals mm-hmm. are. And when you pull all the music off of it, obviously, it really showcases that. That's you know, what it, works on his uh, solo album. Yeah. What is it? Well, you wouldn't Ocean know that Blue from listening or... to the previous three songs he sang. No, no. Well, he was the, you know, the best, supposedly the best looking of the guys. But maybe not by this point. Sort he, of the Doug Cooper of the Beach Boys. <laughs> yeah. There you go. He, uh, you know, he was the most athletic and uh, and just, you know, he, he was known for. That must have been hard. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah but then because some of these and when you hear those the previous two songs it kind of sounds like you know here's this cocksure guy that's out there yeah. and then there's yeah. this guy that's like breaking down and no this song is this song is just really great <laughs> i mean it's a anyway yeah. he, it's uh, that a album his, his solo album is fantastic too yep we should do that one one of these days if we figure out how to do a double album We've, we've done one before. Yep. That's why we don't do it again. <laughs> Actually, we've done two. But yep. anyway. One doesn't merit being a double album. It doesn't. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll shake my fist at the sky. 
<laughs> All right, moving on to the fourth song on side two while JM makes a lot of noise in the background. We've got to get some chips. Our Sweet Love. And how the time just floats away. Pretty things like incense and flowers. I want to make them part of our sweet love Could last forever God only. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I confused. This is confused. the most Beach Boys. This is mo- yeah, the, the most, most pet, pet soundy. Yeah. yeah, this this fellas sounds like it fell off of Pet Sounds. <laughs> it did. Um, um it, written by Brian Wilson, Carl Wilson, yeah. and Jardine. Yeah. And Carl sings it. And Carl yeah. sings it, of course. Yeah. yeah. I think Beautiful. this song would sound better if it hadn't had just followed all those others. I. It, it, it has I, less appeal to me than those others. You know why I think that is? Because it's so familiar sounding. Those yeah. other songs don't, they're great they're, and they sound like the Beach Boys, but in an unfamiliar way. Yeah. This sounds like, oh, I've heard this before. Yes. Um, it could I, almost be the album closer because, yeah. you know, hey, we just did all this stuff. Nah, we're still the Beach Boys. Well, well, going back to what you talked about, Brian Wilson wrote this for Carl, this song hmm. for Carl, because um, he obviously sings lead on it. And, uh, it's only got Carl and Brian Wilson on it with Hal Blaine playing drums and strings. Huh. And the strings on it, on it too. Hal that, Blaine's not that's playing it? The strings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So wow. that's that's it. But it's uh I, I get what you're saying. I love the song, but I, I absolutely yeah, know I what, you're what you're saying, saying about like, oh, this sounds like we've been here before and right. the rest of it it's not as intriguing because of that. Yeah. But still a beautiful song. Yep. All right, moving on to tune number five on side two, At My Window. We have a connection. song that has the spoken word part in it that i was thinking of earlier uh, i like this song it's it's i love this song it's yeah it's the trippiest of the song probably it's got the um uh, the mellotron in it and it's got um I, you can tell there's some uh moog synthesizer or moog synthesizer on it um yeah i like this yeah, well song quite a bit. just real quick so people aren't wondering what the connection is since doug was being funny uh there's a van uh, van oh my God. <laughs> close <laughs> vans in it towns there's van a van. town van Zant album that we did called at at my window which is really the only connection but at, i would say that's different than this a little bit <laughs> slightly um I, this sounds like um there might be some substances involved. <laughs> so I don't believe we've talked about this band before, but every time I hear, you know, we, we have talked about how you can't unhear the stuff you've heard previously. So, um, you know, I, 
first time I listened to this album was when you picked it, Doug. So uh, it's reminded me of stuff that was recorded after this, but I knew much, much before. This sounds like Cloud 2 to me. The like, band, the band Cloud 2. I don't know Cloud 2. Oh, well, they're a Canadian band. Well, it's funny because they were a Canadian band that a bunch of people, uh, well, I say a bunch, a bunch of disc jockeys said they were the Beatles recording under a different name because there weren't any, there wasn't anything about the band on the label or anything. Yeah. You know, the same label. Um, but anyway, their later albums were like this and this, and and, uh, I'll pick, we'll, we'll drop a cloud two song in here so you can hear what I'm talking about. It's got a little, uh, (laughs) magical mystery tour sound to it. I think on this. You yeah, know, that's I guess that Mellotron. I dig this song a lot. I love the little chirpy birds in yeah. it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a good one for leaving your body. Yeah. yeah, it's supposedly evolved from a rendition of Raspberry Strawberries, which was a Wilt Holt composition recorded by the Kingston Trio, and they took it and huh. turned it into this. So, have to listen. Uh, to that. And it just you know this song comes up. We're about to be done with the side of the album, and I just it, may, it reminds me there's not a there's not a stinker on this side. No. This, this is this is I like this, this is side. this is as I said this uh, if you're new to the Beach Boys Tony recommends side two of Sunflower <laughs> it is it's my gateway drug to the Beach Boys so. anyway. I, and I don't disagree with that I didn't think about that uh, we did a practice episode ladies and gentlemen <laughs> since that practice episode uh, I have thought about that much more about the difference between side one and side two and how yeah. accessible side two is yeah. I think I find side one more accessible than Tony does but. Um, well, that hits your sweet spot, and this stuff hits my sweet spot. So, yeah. anyway, we're about to slide into the last song on side two, last song on the album, "Cool, Cool Water." this song it's basically that and then there's a center piece yeah that's, with uh, the, the something i guess it's a moog synthesizer making those go off uh, on a little journey yeah <laughs> making the, the wave sounds and then the starts coming back in with drop sounds and um so yeah it's very watery images that are evoked with with this song but what was the song you said you thought should have been the last song on the album i thought it, it should have been um at my window? No, this last song? our no, sweet was, love. Yeah, I think the reason why it couldn't be is this had to be the last song. <laughs> I'm not, it's not clear to me how somebody hears this and busts into the room and says, this has to be on the room. I, I agree I know, with I you. Agree. My guess is it didn't sound like this when he heard it. It must not have. Um, but they were so, evidently the people were so excited, the executives at Warner Bros. were so excited about this song and the chance it was going to be a, like, feature prominently on it that they, um, that they penciled it in as a neck as a single, but this is not a. This single. is not a single. Yeah, so I think even um, Brian Wilson is not as enamored with it. He said it's got some sort of chant in it that he doesn't really care for. I yeah, I mean, I I can kind of see it. It almost sounds like if, if they would have left out that they could have just ended with the swishing wave sound I before. Guess. And well, I don't know. I feel like this is a perfect outro to the side of the album. It, it fits. It's not it a fits. song though. It's no, sort of this noise. It comes after yeah. a Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a um, song, kind of a coda. No, I, I get it. I, it is a head scratcher. Uh, 
if anybody out there knows why this yeah, Larry yeah. Warrinker went, oh, my God, that when would, he heard this. That would be great information know, to share please. with us. Yeah. But, All right, guys. Well, that wraps up this album. Um, and it, as we talked about earlier, is when it's released, is the worst selling. Beach Boys, <laughs> worst-selling album to date, hitting yeah. a num- number of 151 on the U.S. charts, and it only is on the charts for four weeks. Um, and it, part of that was it didn't get airplay. Disc jockeys that were soured on the Beach Boys at this point. Um, Which is unfortunate. But it um, received a lot of critically acc- critical acclaim from rock art um, yeah. reviewers um, in the U.S. and the U.K. One of those albums you need to hear before you... Well, Die. The the magazine we often talk about getting things wrong said uh, the Rolling Stones said without a doubt it's the best Beach Boys album in recent memory a stylistically coherent tour de force and uh, and most reviewers considered it their best post Pet Sounds album and most fans a Rolling Stone record guy gave it five uh, Encyclopedia of Popular Music five it, Pitchfork uh, got. 8.9 out of 10 all music guide gives it four and a half so it's it's number 380 on rolling stones 500 greatest albums of all time the 2003 version it was number six in the guardians 100 best albums of ever and number 449 on that uh, all-time top 1000 albums um Bruce Johnson says it's favorite. It's his favorite album, even Which though there's even two though songs on it that yeah. he disparages. It's his fa- <laughs> he says it's the last true Beach Boys album because it's the last one to feature any of Brian's real input huh. and active involvement on it. Yeah, I can see so. that. I don't know. Was there really such thing as the Beach Boys after this, other than the uh, reunions and the you know. The, beach festivals and stuff like that i don't they they i think they kind they of put out surfs up which was uh, uh oh, yeah. a popular album that was and, ap- right after this yeah, one right i think right, a lot right. of this i think there was even a maybe a packaging of these two albums together yeah it's right there <laughs> oh is it oh, okay <laughs> yeah huh. all all of beach boys albums pretty much on cd come two Back, for one oh. yeah that's interesting. But, uh, and then they had that hit Kokomo, which was their biggest selling hit of all time. And it's, and it's almost as if somebody got a bunch of people together and said, Hey, make a beach boys parody. Yeah. Cause that's what that seems like to me. That song. That's not a very, but it, it hits on the nostalgia of the band and people who liked it was like, Oh, that's, that's the beach. Boys well, we know and love. Carl, Carl Wilson's singing on that's really good. Yeah. But, but it's, and then, uh, as y'all know, uh, <laughs> there was a question about having the Beach Boys play at the inauguration for Ronald Reagan. And uh, the Secretary of uh, the Interior, Watts, said they don't want that drug element there. <laughs> so he suggested Wayne Newton instead, which doesn't introduce a bad element whatsoever, like the mob or anything. But <laughs> I, re- I still remember when that happened. I thought, yeah. you got to be really unhip to think that the Beach Boys are going to bring that the drug rough crowd in. Yeah. Um, well, the one, the one thing we're talking about, uh, about this since we talked about Smile is that Brian Wilson revisited that album and actually released it 
um, not that long ago. Yeah, it was early 2000s, yeah. Uh, Brian Wilson present, yeah, prevents. He had uh, Van Dyke Parks. Smile. Kind of, yeah, well, he, he had phenomenal musicians. Yeah, it's a, really, it's a really good album. It um, is. It's really, really good. And you can kind of hear, I mean, who knows if it sounds exactly what he wanted it to sound like or what he envisioned, but it's it's pretty, pretty, pretty good. It's got an updated version of Good Vibrations that sounds exactly like the current vi- uh, Good Vibrations Um or the the original good vibrations, but yeah. So the Beach Boys not only they, they um, Dennis Wilson kind of really started after his album, his his solo album, really started going off the deep end. Um, he had many girlfriends, uh, some famous, some not. His drug and alcohol use started uh, spinning out of control, and I guess it was what nineteen eighty eight when. He, his wife lost her wedding ring somewhere in the Pacific. And <laughs> to narrow it down. <laughs> <laughs> to narrow it. Well, and so he, they were, he was on a boat at a, at a party with uh, some of the people. That was in 83. Was it 83 when this happened? Yeah. So he was on a, on a boat and uh, they were in the area where his wife lost her wedding ring and he decided he was going to go down and try to find his wife's wedding ring and by the and he was also it, telling people to throw this, stuff this is a true story this is a true this story. is how he died this is how he died they were throwing and while they were he was doing that there were people throwing he was asking them to throw stuff so he would go down and get it and get whatever it was and bring it back up well one time he went down and didn't come back up they think that he was he was really really drunk and they think that he just um kind of passed out underwater. Um, it's good. He was with friends. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Friends like that. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. And then, um, the beach boys kind of fractured. They had some lit- litigious issues. Um, I think Mike love, uh, sued Brian Wilson at one point And, uh, but then Carl Wilson was supposedly the one that everyone got a- along with. And, uh, Carl Wilson died of, of cancer. I think what was that in the early two thousands sometime? Mm-hmm. So lung cancer. Who's lung cancer. in the current incarnation other than John Stamos and Mike Love? Mike Love, Bruce Johnston. Okay, Bruce um, Johnston's still I think there. Al Jardine recently left. He was there for a, a, through some of the nostalgia tours and everything. But now that I think the original guy, Carl. Was it Carl? I want to say Carl Marx, but uh, David Marx. David Marx. I think he's back with the band okay. now. Um, so they, yeah, um, I think they're down to a four piece. But I saw them. Uh, our friend, we had a friend who actually worked for the Beach Boys. The band was phenomenal. I mean, the, the guys that are backing them now are just really, really good players, really, really good singers. Um, huh. But, and I would say it's worth seeing them live if you get a chance. So this is the point in uh, in the uh, episode where we give our ratings, and uh, as you know, we give a rating or critical rating, and uh, which is our kind of cold-hearted assessment of the album, and then our personal rating, which is what are the what's the likelihood we'll listen to this again when we don't have to listen to it for a podcast. <laughs> so I'm going to go to JM first and have him do that. Okay, I'm going to go with my critic rating first. Um, I agree. This is one of the probably the second best beach boys album. Um, it, I'm sure it's not what you would listen to the beach boys for, but it is a 
it's uh, if you listen to pet sounds this is the next best thing to it, it it's a um and i really like how the band stretches out and plays so well uh so it's definitely one of the best albums that came out of the early 70s so i'm going to give it a four nine as a critic i really there's not much about it that i i dislike um the only thing again it, it's a little disjointed and you can kind of it doesn't it sounds a little bit like a singles album and not a not a complete piece of work but that's kind of what it is um and my personal rating i'm going to give it a four eight i it, i i We'll listen to it again. In fact, I did listen to it again. <laughs> we had to. We, we had to. Yeah, we had this, another one of the Mulligan episodes. Um, but I give it a four nine. The, the playing by the band backing band is great. The playing by Carl Wilson in particular is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Wrecking Crew. Yeah, the Wrecking Crew ever, ever gets tired of being called the backing band. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. Uh, the harmonies are are beautiful. Um, so I I. And some of the instrumentation, some of the string arrangements and and the guitar playing is just are just beautiful. So I'm, I'm going to give it a four nine. OK, thank you, Jam. I'm going to do me next since this is a Doug pick. Uh, I'm going to give it a four or five for both. Um, I, I, listening to it the second time around, the three Dennis Wilson songs while still standing out. I know I sound like a broken record. I've said this a million times tonight, but uh, they stand out enough to where it's it, it doesn't elevate the album. Now, my opinion has changed since the last time we listened to it. So I that that score could possibly go up, um, you know, uh, what? Anyway, yeah, it's a four or five for me for both. This is, this is the second side in particular is remarkable. I will, I will take issue with one thing JM said, uh, even though it's a, they kind of compiled this through various songs they did. I think the second side stands together pretty well as a cohesive statement. Um, so anyway, Doug, what say you? I, as a critic, I'd give it a four six. And on a personal level, I would give it a four seven. And I, I think, the more I listen to it, the more I like it. And uh, I would just encourage people who have written off the Beach Boys to maybe give this a chance. Ditto. And according to Tony, you should start with side two. Well, I mean, it just depends on what your po- your your musical point is. But, uh, yeah. Side two is pretty remarkable. It is. And it's it reminds me a little bit of side two on Abbey Road or one of those where everything blends together. I, yep. I, I agree with that 100%. You can get into a groove. Okay. Well, before I pass them on to Jam, we, we don't really have a recommendation for this episode, but I will say it's worth pulling up. And it is, if you, if you have the time, pull up this, uh, Brian Wilson presents smile album and give that a, give that a roll. We won't call that an official recommendation, but I think it's worth, uh, worth checking out. So Jam, I'm passing the, the torch to you, sir. All to right. Close this out. All right, Tony. Thank you very much. And thank you, Doug, for that recommendation. And thank you, dear listener, for letting us fill your airways with another episode of This Is Vinyl Tap, the podcast that always goes to 11. As usual, if you know anyone who likes the long player format, uh, please let them know about this podcast. We're always looking for new listeners. And you can go uh, up to the podcasting platform where you downloaded us and leave us a review. Please leave us some stars. We're always looking for feedback. You can also email us at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. We're also uh, on Facebook. We have a Facebook group page, which gets uh, I've been getting a lot of attention these days. So go up there if you're inclined to. 
But of course, for the ultimate This Is Vinyl Tap experience, please visit our website. Up there, you can download our episodes, uh, get in touch with us, leave us a review, and you'll find all sorts of uh, information, pictures, and videos uh, related to some of the albums that we've been talking about. It kind of expands on uh, what we've been talking about on our podcast. That is tappingvinyl.com. Next week, it's another album by one of the biggest bands of the 1970s, Credence Clearwater Revival, and their album, Cosmos Factory. host Doug Cooper, our co-host Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. This is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11. And hey, add some music to your day. 